honestly was one of the most inspiring experiences of my life. I still remember, you know, just the passion that these kids had and we would share these really small <laughs> desks, which made any school that I attended in the States seem like an absolute luxury. We didn't have ACs, we didn't have any of that stuff, but the passion that the students had and they brought to the classroom was unbelievably mind-blowing because education for a lot of these kids was the only way out. We often hear the question, what motivates you? It's extremely broad and there's a laundry list of answers depending on who's asking. What drives us when you get up in the morning to go to work or go to school? Is it achieving the success we've always dreamed of? Is it making our families proud? Or is it simply getting that bigger paycheck to let us live the life we want? For most parts of the world that are hidden, in areas that ever so rarely pop up on our social media feed, there's a reason why people don't skip class or take the day off. They don't because they can't. And their motivation? It's nothing but the chance to survive. This is the story of Asami Barmada, social justice activist, daughter of a Palestinian refugee, and the unyielding founder behind the Global People's Summit. This is Camille. And this is Maverick. And this is Season 2 of Sincerely Human, a show about humans you should know and their stories of doing good in the modern age. If you didn't know Hasami Barmada, you might think she really lucked out in life. She's a consultant for the United Nations Foundation, the CEO of her own social impact firm, and she's armed with a master's degree from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. You'd think she must be living the American dream. But if you back up a bit and trace Hasami's roots, you'll discover something different. Her childhood, simply put, was a bit complex. Hazami was born in the UK and was traveling extensively in the Middle East with her family. Actually, traveling might be too soft of a word because there wasn't much traveling the way you would when you're exploring a new country or when you go on vacation. It was more of moving from one place to the next out of necessity. Hazami is Syrian-Palestinian who grew up listening to stories of displacement from her mother. She saw her dad try to set up a medical practice for low-income people in Syria. When Hazami was in 5th and 6th grade, she studied at a refugee school in the outskirts of Damascus. It was one of those things where, you know, it's just, you know, most young children are just like, why do I need to study? But then hearing my mom talk about education as a privilege, and then being able to personally attend a refugee school and see, uh, makes me <laughs> tear up. I don't talk about this stuff often, so... Hazami's life as a young woman is a story of contrasts. I went to school here, first, second, third grade, you know, in different parts of the States and fourth grade also, and also in the UK. And there it was, education was just the thing you did. In the camps and in the schools I went to in Syria, the government schools and the public schools, education was a way out. So you took education seriously. Hazami said, studying was not something you just did to please your parents. I think it really transformed my thinking about 
the challenge of growing up in hardship and how that actually was in a weird, very twisted way, a huge blessing to see people that were innovating and creating solutions because they had no alternative choices. It was the way to survive was to excel. And when it comes to the way we see and treat marginalized and overlooked communities, Hazami had this to say. I don't see a lot of people as victims the way I think we accidentally do and we way too often do in the social development and development space is we talk to the world as being kind of victims that need saving and need rescuing and that was not what I saw on the ground. I saw an empowered and inspired young people that just needed opportunity. They didn't need handouts, they didn't need your inspiration, they had tons of it. What they needed, according to Azami, was access. Access to opportunity and the right mechanisms that will allow them to create a better future for themselves. So that was the backdrop of all of the stories and narratives that really led me to tap deep within myself and start questioning privilege and access and social responsibility very unintentionally from a young age. Privilege. It's a word we hear often. We may or may not be born with it. We may or may not experience it for whatever reason. But more often than not, it's human interactions that can shape the way we use our privilege or see it lived in others. Yeah, we permanently moved to the States in 99. We went to Oregon for a year um, to Lake Oswego and then to uh, Portland and then to Mississippi. That's where Hazami's family migrated eventually the small coastal town of Long Beach, Mississippi. This is the latest official forecast track of the National Hurricane Center. Now, if this track is correct, it comes into a point near the Alabama-Mississippi line. Hurricane Katrina is turning in the Gulf of Mexico tonight, building up strength. Its size and 175 mile per hour winds are scary, making it one of the most powerful hurricanes ever in the Gulf. In 2005, her family lost everything during Hurricane Katrina. And at that moment, it didn't matter that I was an immigrant. My faith didn't matter. My background didn't matter. At that moment, I was just like every other person in Mississippi. For most of her life prior, Hazami considered herself to have access to opportunity. And I specifically was empowered and inspired to think more about this because it was right around the time of 9-11. And here my dad was, who someone who'd sacrificed so much to provide so much medical support. He was a heart surgeon at the time, you know, providing services to low-income parts of Mississippi, and yet we were othered, you know, and I constantly kept hearing about the media and hearing about, you know, these Arab and Muslim terrorists in, in Mississippi. It was how people were socialized because people didn't really have an opportunity to interact with diverse people from around the world. And around this time, Hazami was studying anthropology and sociology really was interested in trying to empathize with how people think about difference and diversity. Hazami continued to chart her own path in the social impact space. And when I left school, I was really passionate about policy and how social policy specifically is designed to use social media and digital media, which was growing at the time. It was relatively new, but how media shaped perspectives and how perspectives then shaped policy and then how policy in essence created rules and regulations on how people live their lives. Hazami eventually found herself working at the United Nations. She put on many different hats while performing duties at the Office of the Secretary General's Envoy on Youth, a UN agency that serves the needs and rights of young people. 
And from there, I had several other roles really working on global engagement and governance and really thinking about challenging the UN system and partners of the UN to think about innovation and young people and how we can make the United Nations more accessible and relatable to youth. There's that word again, access. Um, I was working with the UN Refugee Agency, and she had just gotten back from one of the refugee camps in Jordan. That's Erin Dunn, by the way, another social impact innovator. Erin, along with Azami, would eventually become co-founders at the Global People's Summit. She was doing a project there with a number of the children inside the camp. It was an art project where they took this huge canvas and painted kind of what their feelings were or painted where they were at in life. And so she came back to the United States with this incredibly long canvas of artwork by children from one of our refugee camps. Um, And so when she brought it back, she had this great idea of being able to showcase it on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. And this concept of showing what it's like to live in a refugee camp, whether that was through art or a life-sized refugee tent in the National Mall, it was how both Hazami and Erin wanted to get more people involved around the refugee crisis. And then, you know, there came a moment where both of us were kind of leaving the UN system. And she had this great idea about creating a 100% virtual summit that would allow anybody anywhere to join conversations during the UN General Assembly. That idea in the end was called the Global People's Summit, a fully virtual and inclusive summit, a gathering where people who are closest to the problems are part of the conversation without being hindered by their ethnic backgrounds or the power of their passport. During Hazami's time at the UN, she lost sleep over how big governments, systems, and bureaucracies left people out. At one point, she was the coordinator for the World Humanitarian Summit of then-Secretary General of the UN, Ban Ki-moon. So my role specifically was coordinating the event itself. That's Hazami again and really helping infuse different innovative ways of thinking into the production of the summit, which ended up being extremely large, uh, took place in Turkey. Now, in the lead up to the summit, I had hired two fantastic and beautiful, inspiring people to join my team. One was named Sana and the other was Saeed. And they were both refugees, both legal refugees in the United States and had different backgrounds. Sana and Saeed were both asylum seekers in the U.S. They weren't allowed to come to the humanitarian summit due to complications of their status. I kept being told, you know, this is not a fish that we need to fry. This is not a bone to pick right now. But what that did to me was it really demoralized me and made me realize that the way that we keep hosting these global conversations and these global events and global convenings that literally shape the discourse of the world in isolation and exclusion of the very people that need to be at the center of shaping these conversations, including Sana and Saeed in this specific case. Um, So I left the UN and I said to a colleague that in the process of servicing humanity, I've lost my own. Hazami went back to the drawing board. She went to the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and during her time there, she was inspired to shift her focus on shattering silos. Silos that excluded the voices of people who should be leading conversations around the world's most pressing problems. Hazami, Aaron, and the selfless team at the Global People's Summit had envisioned a conference that, in the truest sense of the word, let people in. It was 
a direct response to the fact that Sana and Saeed and all of my own family and all of my friends that I went to school with in Syria and all of the people that I know that are displaced working every single day to make a change in their community, how can we give them a voice at the UN General Assembly, given that they don't have passports that they can travel with easily to the US, given that we're increasing the carbon footprint all over the world by flying people and paying for hotels and all of these things. And we're constantly excluding voices of people all around the world that don't have this privilege or luxury to be invited. So what we did is we flipped the conference system on the head and we're saying that we're actually using the internet and digital tools to create a virtual online conference, which is the first time in UN history that uh, we've been able to pull this off to connect people around the world in a virtual conference room where everyone around the world is part of the conversation and not just a passive recipient to a live stream. And so on September 22nd, the second Global People's Summit will be held. A summit that, on its first year, reached 84 million people in 63 countries. One really powerful thing that came out of last year's summit... That's Erin again. ...is that there was people working on drone technology in Nairobi, Kenya, and there was also people working on drone technology for humanitarian purposes in Malaysia. And so them being able to connect the dots, find each other through these conversations that are happening around the Global People Summit, they're able to now collaborate and share what's working, what's not working, and that way solutions are able to kind of accelerate. You know, these people already do have a voice and it's just about amplifying their voices and getting that attention of global leaders so that all people have the ability to feed into the decision-making process. Because at the end of the day, these decisions, they affect every single one of us. Every single one of us. For an average person who's an outsider to the social impact space, that idea is a bit challenging to imagine. It's challenging, but it's not impossible. Ultimately, though, for Hazami, driving change that could impact people is not limited to a category or a professional field. It's not a box to be checked. This is for doctors and engineers and accountants and janitorial services and students and teachers and people that think of themselves as just, I'm just doing my job. We're trying to shift the narrative to say every single one of you, by doing your job with empathy, compassion, self-awareness, and self-responsibility, is part of the larger global change and global ecosystem for development. So we're really trying to empower everyday people to realize that they are the drivers for change. If you'd like to participate in the Global People Summit, which is happening in a few days, September 22nd, just hop on to globalpeoplesummit.org. There's a link in this episode's show notes. You can join the summit for free from anywhere around the world. No passport needed. We hope you guys enjoyed our first episode of the season. Please do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. You can also leave us a review. It always helps a ton. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Sincerely Human. That's Sincerely, H-U-E-M-A-N, and join our growing community. We love you guys so much, and remember, be good to one another, 